MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Check out any cocktail book from before 1970 and you'll notice something. Gin. And lots of it. We're talking classics on the level of the Martini, Negroni, French 75, the Tom Collins, and the Ricky. But a funny thing happened on the way to the craft cocktail revival, specifically vodka. See, in the 1980s, everyone was drinking Cosmopolitans and Sea Breezes while turning their noses up at that old prig gin. Despite its straight-laced reputation, however, gin has recently taken off its glasses and let down its hair. And the world has noticed the comely beauty that was right under its nose this whole time. Look around, or at least next time we're able to go to bars, look around. You can't toss a bar spoon without uh, hitting a gin cocktail as the centerpiece of a uh, modern speakeasy's offerings. And a great many of them are marriage material. Hell, I do this for a living, and even I admit to having not known much about this centuries-old spirit prior to 15 years ago. That's when I went on an expedition to the soggy shores of Plymouth in southwest England, where, you know, over there the stuff gets consumed like it's stupidity and you're watching The Real Housewives. So I spent an entire week soaking it in with the folks who understand it best, and in the process I fell in love with gin. The uh, man who led that expedition is a guy by the name of Simon Ford. At the time, he was working for Pinot Ricard, the parent company of Plymouth Gin, Beef Eater, and a host of other brands. Simon's a character. He's larger than life. And when I met him back then, I knew right away that this was a guy who was destined for greatness in the spirits business. And he certainly proved me right. Back in 2012, Simon and some partners founded the 86 Spirits Company. They made a rum, a vodka, tequila. But the flagship was Ford's Gin. It was the horse that pulled the company cart. And it was immediately embraced by the bar community because it's an incredibly versatile gin. In fact, one of my all-time favorite cocktails is made with forged gin. I'm going to share that recipe with you right now. It's called Barnum Was Right. And it was created by Ryan Gannon, the head bartender at Cure in New Orleans, Louisiana. Cure is a fantastic cocktail bar. And Ryan made the Barnum Was Right. It is. You want to get a pen out? I'll give you a second. Get a pen. Piece of paper. Okay. Ready? Ready? All right, here we go. Two ounces of forged gin, one ounce of G-Fard apricot liqueur, and that's G-I-F-F-A-R-D. It's pronounced G-Fard. If you can't find that one in these troubled times, you can find any, any apricot liqueur. We'll do it a pinch. A half an ounce of lemon juice and two dashes of Angostura bitters. That's it. It's a simple drink. Combine them in a shaker with ice, shake and strain into a Cooper martini glass, no garnish. Now look, on paper, this drink doesn't look good. It's got weird proportions, some bitters, no sugar and a sour, and really not that much sour. Yet somehow, with a good hard shake, 
everything balances and you get a beautiful herbal, lightly sweetened example of how well gin pairs with a variety of ingredients. It really is. I mean, gin just is kind of the go-to for cocktails. Um, and nobody knows more about gin than the great Simon Ford. I Zoom chatted with Simon the other day, and I'm going to play that interview for you in just a second. But first, I want to give you a quick word about one of our sponsors, a new sponsor to the show, Harry's Razors. Look, folks, now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. And frankly, you shouldn't be venturing into drugstores at all if you can avoid it. Harry's knows this. That's where they ship directly to you. So you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience and safety of your own home. One of the things that's keeping me sane during quarantine is sticking to my familiar routines, like shaving with my Harry's razor. Just the scent of that shave gel alone reminds me of what normal feels like. You know, you're going to shave, go out for the day, and normal's a good feeling. So why Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essentials. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman. They use a German manufacturer that's been honing precision blades for a century, and those high-quality blades go straight from that manufacturer's factory to you. Also, Harry's is super convenient. You get refills delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, you let Harry's know and they'll give you a full, not a half, not a quarter, full refund. And you can feel good about the purchase. 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care. And the veterans are included in that as well. So we got a special offer right now for my listeners. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Go to harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash drinking. Harry's dot com slash drinking. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe. Keep your skin hydrated. Very important. You get a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Again, go to harrys.com slash drinking to start shaving better today or whenever it shows up. All right. With that, I want to get to, uh, let's get down to business. Well, that was business. Now let's get down to the business of talking with Simon Ford. My man, Simon Ford. How are you, buddy? Dan, I'm great, man. And uh, actually, all the better for actually hearing from you and being able to talk to you in these times. Well, I'm I'm really glad to have you on the show. You're one of my uh, oldest friends in the business. And uh, by the way, I've got your gin, Forge Gin. I'm drinking it the way you drink during quarantine. As you'll see, I've got the cut-off shirt, true Philly style, right? I got my sleeves cut off. I'm drinking it out of a plastic giant cup with a Phillies logo on it. I got two fucking limes in there because that's how I roll. I've got about nine ounces of gin and two full bottles of, of tonic in there. So I'm having a forged gin, gin and tonic with a Q tonic in there, which I love. And uh, I want to raise a toast to you, buddy. Here we go. Cheers. I feel like you're doing this better than I am. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, man. There we go. Mm. So, uh, as I just mentioned, Simon is the uh, founder of Forge Gin, which is, in my opinion, one of the best gins in the world. I love it. It's a go-to for me. It has been since it came out. 
And uh, what fascinates me about you, man, and we've known each other, what, 15 years now? It's been a long time. Easily, easily. So your story is a true, uh, really an inspiration to, you know, stick-to-itiveness, uh, I can't say that word, I have too much gin, to, uh, to determination, <laughs> to wit, to being a, an absolutely charming guy who knows how to be in the right place at the right time, but more importantly, to use all the tools you have to, and, and be a good guy all the while, and every and this is the kind of story to me that gets me going because it's like every once in a while the good guys win. So let's start by where are you from? I'm from well, I'm from England, the West Country in England. Uh, I grew up in a town called Bath, um, which was uh, quite a nice historic place. And it's also where I learned to to have my first gin and tonic. Okay, and then I, you... I learned to have my first gin and tonic. I know that doesn't sound like good English. Was but that in school I... or something? The day there was a. <laughs> Uh, in school, in school, it was it was things that were a lot worse than gin and tonic. Let's just let's just say that if it, gin and tonic was the the birth of sophistication for me. Okay, <laughs> and, and and how did your career in the in the spirits industry begin? I started working in wine actually, and it was um, I was given the opportunity to work in a small wine shop twenty hours a week, and I remember the very first day uh, because I was given a bottle of wine. Uh, by the boss there and he said go home and write notes on this wine and no one had ever given me homework before that I'd actually cared about that was the first time I ever had some homework that I cared about I went back wrote notes on that wine came back the next day he was rather impressed and so he put a bottle of burgundy in my hand now what was interesting um, about that job though is they were very wine first and fine wines and small wine companies first. That was what they did. But they loved the strange and the wonderful when it came to the spirits world. So, of course, I got to step into that world, too, at that time. Um, eventually, that wine shop will get me out of Bath and will get me to London, the big city. And I would start running a wine shop that was opposite the Savoy Hotel. Now, this isn't Barry Brothers and Rudd, right? I wish, actually. That was always a bit of an aspiration. And actually, if I were to be completely honest, the entire world right now, an aspiration of mine is to have a job with Barry Brothers and Rudd. Well, that's a so Barry Brothers and Rudd has been around for centuries. Simon and I actually went there one day in London. And the thing that was really struck me and, and always has stayed with me is on the wall of the of, at Barry Brothers and Rudd frame, they had a telegram. I think it was September, September, it was 1912. It was the day after the Titanic sank, and Barry Brothers and Rudd had had a lot of uh, cargo on the Titanic, champagne yeah. and wine and things, and the, the, the telegram was like, basically said, ship's missing, fear all is lost. It was chilling to read it, but th there was so much history there, and uh, I think some of that champagne eventually got recovered, didn't it? I, I actually I don't know, but if it, if it did, I hope one day to make enough money to buy a bottle. Seriously. <laughs> so you you get you're in the wine shop, and then how does it how do you transition from wine to spirits? Well, it, that was an interesting part of the story because I um I, I I got engrossed in cocktails by being able to walk across the street to the Savoy Hotel, and back then you had to have a jacket. Now a jacket is recommended, but back then it was required, and um and and I would. I was really uh, someone that supplied wines and spirits to the Savoy, but eventually they would invite me in. And I, I remember having, I didn't own a jacket at the time, so they gave me a jacket and Peter Dorelli was the head bartender and he would make me some cocktails and it would change my life. I would start to get really interested in cocktails. Um, 
So I would actually apply for a job with uh, the company Seagram's. I don't know if you remember those guys. Seagram's was Philly based, right? I, I don't know if they were Philly. A lot of the family Philly from Seagram's. Wasn't the Cooper, wasn't Rob Cooper part of that family? No, this is the um, Bronfman fan family. Uh, okay, so they, I'm right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I so so the the Bronfman family would um uh would start Seagram's uh, I think pre Prohibition, but it sort of got its big boost at Prohibition. Well, I got a job with them in 1998 in a department that was called Ideal Brands, working along a lot of the great kind of marketers of the time. It was set up by a guy called um, trying to think. There was John Beach. Uh, it was various cool cats from the from the, um, the the London bar scene, and they would set it up. And of course, we were going to the Atlantic Bar and Grill and all of these cool bars that were really championing championing uh, the cocktail moment. So, if uh, just for those who are cocktail geeks here, the Atlantic Bar and Grill is where they had Dick's Bar, which was Dick Bradsell's bar, which was really a Sort of and I was with you. Company. I was with you at Dick's other place. In uh, Dick is a probably the guy. He, not a probably. He is the godfather of the modern the resurgence of craft co- craft cocktails in London. One hundred percent. He's our, I, he's, I he's their Dale DeGroff. Yeah. I, I would I would put them together. Yeah, he he definitely was the guy that inspired all of the bartenders, and he certainly inspired me. I was introduced to him in 1998 when I took this job. And so I just started getting a complete passion for what bartenders were trying to do at the time and, and continue to do to do to this day. So I really um, sort of stepped from the wine wine business to the uh, spirits business in that moment. And this is 1998. And just to, for those of you listening out there to put this in, give you some perspective, all of the craft cocktail bars and, and the places now that, you know, the famous death, you know, death and co and, and the nomad and in Los Angeles, it, you know, you've got uh, uh, Scopa and all these different places. None of this existed back then. It was, it was just beginning in 1998. This was, there were some places, I think Dale had done the rainbow room in New York city and, and all of these old great classic cocktails were just starting to come back uh, at the time, I would say in 1998, if you walked into most bars, you were drinking, you know, Canadian <laughs> Club or you were drinking vodka, vodka cranberries, you know, sea breezes and all this tequila sunrises. That's what was going on in 1998. And for you to be in it back then, it had to be pretty exciting to see the possibilities. Well, I was in an aspirational position of being a fly on the wall. So I am watching the Dale DeGraffs and I am watching the Dick Bradsells and, and all of the other sort of quite forward-thinking bartenders of that period build uh, what has uh, essentially evolved into a, a movement across the world um, where now you can get amazing, brilliant made cocktails almost anywhere in every far corner of this, of this planet right now. And, um, and, and in 98... I was just like this this young sort of fly on the wall looking in and going, wow, I can't believe how cool these guys are. And I love that bartending is an art, something I'd never considered an art before then because my only real experience prior to that, uh, you know, until going into the Savoy, I guess, was going into a pub and seeing a well-poured pint of Guinness. In fact, a fancy drink to me in 1998 was getting a pint of Hogarden and they would put the orange wheel on top and I thought, that's fancy. <laughs> and really, the next yeah. thing I know, <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm I'm, I'm getting a, a martini at the Savoy 
And the next thing I know, I'm meeting Dick Bradsall and, and of course, seeing all of the great drinks that he, he created, of course, most famously and most influential uh, drink of his for me is the, is the Bramble, which I still drink on a regular basis to this day. Can you describe the, the Bramble? Beautiful looking drink, too. Uh, yeah, with the ice I, think and- was, I think it was based on the crusters, you know, in, stylistically. And I think what made that drink amazing for me at the time is it was built on crushed ice. First drink I'd ever had like that. And they drizzle through the, the black uh, the creme de mure, chambord, whatever it is. They, they, they drizzle it through uh, a gin sour, essentially. And it looks and- like a, it looks kind of like a snow cone in a way. You've got the ice it- rounded on the top. It's it's a gorgeous drink and it's one of the most refreshing cocktails you could, you'll ever have. Yeah, it was it, it, in many ways, the cosmopolitan was what was taking off in the United States. The, the Bramble kind of was representing that same uh, vibe in England, but of course it was a gin based drink rather than a vodka based drink. So then now I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit. So now you, you eventually end up at Pernod Ricard. Yeah. Which is where been, you and I, which is how I came to know you, you were working, you were, you were a, basically a brand ambassador kind of thing. What would you? What was your job title at Pernod Ricard? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I went through many different sort of uh, roles within within my time at Pernod Ricard and the Absolute Spirits Company and so on and so forth. I guess really where it started is when I was at Ideal Brands. I'm going back to '98 almost uh, now, but um, a gentleman by the name of Charles Rolls, who to me is one of the most influential people in our industry. Period. Probably the most influential man in gin because he had. Um, you know, gone and become the managing director of Plymouth Gin in 1996, when no one cared about gin. Then in 98, he'd walked into these offices in uh, Ideal Brands and said, hey, I have this gin. Nick Blacknell, my boss at the time, went, we need a gin. And most people were just way too cool for gin at the time. But I wasn't. I was like, I love gin. I love a good gin and tonic. So, of course, the first thing that happens to me is I meet Charles Rolls, and he introduces me to uh, this brand, Plymouth. To Plymouth, which is absolutely gorgeous gin but but the funny when you're saying back then i mean what were people drinking that was beef eater uh what would you see in most bars back then you would see gordon's gordon's uh gordon's yeah gordon's beef eater tank rate but all of them mostly gathering dust too in all honesty you know and 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 all and all three of them uh, great gins um but there just wasn't the variety that we that we have to this this day and most people would sort of choose vodka over gin at that particular period so Thinking, um, and this is Charles Rolls now, thinking that he could bring another gin to the world, I thought is was quite a bold move. What's incredible about Charles is he sold Plymouth Gin, I think in 2005, around that time, to launch Fever Tree Tonic Water. So not only is Plymouth one of the most uh, exciting gins uh, of its period and, 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 and back then, um, Fever Tree has probably done more for gin than any gin has actually done for gin and, in and, the last 15 years. And so when Simon talks about the mixers, and I, as I've talked about a lot of times on this show, um, I mentioned I'm having Q with mine, but I love Fever Tree as well. It's what is so important when you look at a cocktail is really 70% of that drink is the mixer. You know, if you're if you're having a gin and tonic, seventy percent of that drink is is the is the tonic. Now you can have the greatest, you can have forged gin, you can have Plymouth gin, beef, you can have the best gin in the world. You put shitty tonic in there, you're gonna have a shitty drink. You know, and for him to recognize that back then uh, is great because frankly, it was all out of the gun back then, right? They were doing yeah. it was all of the gun, and you know they're not cleaning the lines. You're getting, I mean, they're ruining the drinks. Yeah. 
No, I think it was a game-changing moment. I, I, I take it, I took it for granted back then, but I don't, I, I don't take it for granted now that I was surrounded by people that were changing the way people drink, whether it was Dick Bradsell, whether it was Charles Rolls, whether it was Nick Blacknell that would go on to be the managing director at, um, at, at Beef Eater, who would run Jameson's for a while, and then, you know, he's at Havana Club these days. I didn't take it for granted that, I, I did take it for granted back then, but I don't take it for granted right now that I was getting an opportunity to really learn from some really good people. But of course, my heart and my passion was fully ensconced in gin for some reason. I just got so passionate about it. I wanted to learn about the history. I wanted to learn about the production. I wanted to learn everything that there possibly could be to know about gin. And of course, working for some of the best gin brands in the world at Pernod Ricard gave me that opportunity. So yeah, I, I think that's when we met, right? On the trip to Beef Eater, which was probably yeah, we, a long time ago. Yeah. And no, it, exactly. We did that trip and 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 had some good nights out in London town. Oh man! And some of my some of my dearest friends, Tom Caltabiano, was on the. You know, we've all stayed yeah. friends over the years, but that was kind of my first real exposure to gin. We went at Desmond Payne at um, at Beef Eater, yeah. and then we went out to Plymouth, which was amazing. Right. And and that was really my first immersion th- via you into to gin. And I, man, just fell in love with it. So now you go from, and to let everybody know now what's going on, because I don't want Simon to have to say this about himself. So, you know, now there's a million different brand ambassadors, but back then there weren't a lot of people doing what he did, which was be an evangelist for brands. And, and frankly, I believe you were the inspiration for a lot of brands that looked at you and said, we need our Simon Ford. We need our guy because Simon, re- well, it's true, man. It's true. You recognized very early on a couple of things that are now industry standard, okay? It wasn't just PR. It wasn't just courting people like me, press guys. It wasn't just trying to go do some shit on premise. You recognized we got to get the bartenders. We got to get, yeah. I, you started running trips early on where it was bringing bar, we got to get the people whose job it is to deliver this this our product to the customers we have to make them fall in love with us and and everything else will follow from there so you were one of the first people to do that and and which i found was great so all these brands start looking they start saying oh we got to get our own simon ford we got to get and they start hiring people to varying degrees of success i would say there there are no other simon fords out there there are a lot of great brand ambassadors but frankly man you were when we talk about Dick Bradsell being and Dale being the, the sort of the the godfathers of or the forebears of the bartending thing. You are certainly on the brand side, uh, and maybe people I don't know people listening might be like, oh, who gives a shit? But you know what? If it's not for, <laughs> if it's not for people like you, getting because these aren't brands that are like easy sells, right? Plymouth Gin wasn't an easy sell. Even Beef Eater wasn't an easy sell because it's like, oh, it's my fucking grandfather drank Beef Eater. How do you get how do you get younger people to to get on board? And it's people like you delivering the message that and getting the word out that this is delicious juice, man. I, I, I personally believe that also the, the, this art of bartending that was happening with great people like Dale and Dick and all, uh, you know, back then and the, the bartenders that would follow the Sasha Petrovskis of the world, the Julie Reiners, you know, all of this, um, this movement is growing. 
And um, the natives are getting restless back there in, in the house. I, can I know. Can you, can you, can you, do you need me to tell them? To no, shut up? no, I love it. No, 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 I love it. I love it. This is this is this is broadcasting in the age of coronavirus, man. You got kids running around in the background. In the background. <laughs> um, mm. So so um, so so um, as a brand ambassador, you know that was technically my job title at the time. I felt it was my job not just to educate bartenders who cared about knowledge back then on gin in general, because that was the category that I was working in. But I felt it was my duty to promote what they were doing because I saw something very special in what was happening then. So I put the resources that were made available to me by the companies I was working for in promoting their art. And, uh, you know, whether they think I did that or not is another story, but I well, no, I and it's absolutely true. There weren't stars back then. Now you see it all the time. There's star bartenders you go on Instagram. There's bartenders that have a million followers. You know, that didn't, that didn't exist. You were one of the people that cultivated that you, you recognized that these, these people were every bit as talented as the chefs that would wind up on TV. And that was really it. You know, you, you all the people you see on the food now, you were kind of one of the first person people to recognize that in the bar industry and say, we got the same thing going on here. We have some stars. Let's get them out there. I, I loved it. And of course, there's a synergy, right? You know, brands rely on bartenders. Bartenders rely on good brands. You know, we, we, want, we, want, we want to work together. Uh, that way we get to make the greatest art. You know, if you're a bartender, you want to work with the greatest materials. And if you have materials that you think are great, you want the greatest artists to work with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not even feel I don't even feel like I'm overplaying it by calling us all artists, because I do believe that the culture of drinking and the, the culture of service is thousands of year old, thousands of years old. And we are the custodians of that art in this day and age. And it was lost because of things like prohibition. It was lost because of things like war that came along. And because of, of things like cocktail, the movie, <laughs> things like that. I, I actually, Which I love. I, I love that fucking movie. I'm just going to say it right now. When he pours, he rains. When he pours, he rains. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, 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 I'm a huge fan of that movie. I actually still to this day, still to this day, think that bartenders, uh, the Tom Cruise character, actually both the characters in that movie, are, 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 are bartenders are like that. There's the entrepreneur in every bartender I've ever met. Bartenders want to own their own bar. You know, they, they are constantly thinking about ideas that might change the world. And, and if you think about it in the modern sense, all of the bitters companies came from bartenders. There are bartenders that have created spirits. I mean, there are so many ideas. There and by the way, that's a great segue right there. So you go, you go. I, I mean, I would talk to you for five hours about this stuff, but we got, you know, people got, people got a lot of podcasts to listen to out there. So you go from, I remember you telling me, we had a conversation years ago, and you will you can give me the date when this was, that you were going to leave Pernod Ricard, and I, I was, frankly, I was kind of stunned, but then when I found out what you were doing, I thought, well, this makes perfect sense, which was, you were going to start your own spirits company, and uh, which called the 86 Company, and that featured several different spirits, but really, let's face it, the flagship brand of the 86 Spirits Company was a gin, your eponymous gin, Forge Gin. And tell us about when that when that started. Well, if you think about gin and my history with it, I don't, at this particular moment when I told you that, that this is what I was going to do, I'd been working in gin for 15 years at that point, and I'd learned everything that I possibly could to a point that now 
people were calling me up and saying, I'm starting a gin brand. Can you help me? And that to me was sort of like telling in itself. So, and of course me being me would, would help every single time and would help people with recipes and help people with advice or put people in touch with people, but I wasn't doing it for myself. And, um, and, and it would be amiss to not mention Sasha Petrosky because he was the biggest impetus and influence behind. And Sasha, inspiring me everybody today. knows, uh, if you don't know, Sasha founded uh, Milk and Honey uh, in New York City, uh, passed away four, three, four years ago. How long? Yeah. It's been a couple of years. Uh, died way too young, but was a massive influence on the industry overall and certainly in the New York scene, you know. Um, I think you might meet 50, 100 people that say Sasha inspired them to do what they are doing to this day. And I'm, I'm one of those people. But um, he, he said, we need a universal cocktail gin. And, 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 and when he said that to me, I was like, okay. I, I did, wasn't quite sure what he meant on day one, but um, he said, this gin's great for martinis. This gin's great for uh, gin and tonics. This great gin is great in fizzes. There's not one that does everything really well. And I actually agreed with him when he said that. I, I'd actually often sort of preach that same kind of message myself. And so what we did is we went down to the Blue Ribbon Bakery and we got all of these books and there were flavor manuals and flavor guides and classic cocktail books. And we started looking at the flavors and botanicals that could be made in gin. And we started creating flavor maps in the way a, uh, a chef might, you know, com compose a, a dish. And we looked at those flavors and started making theoretical um, gin recipes that would make what we were considering um, a cocktail gin. So our mission, our, you know, our, certainly the, the mission that Sasha inspired me to go on was to make a cocktail gin. Yeah, and it and it is a it's an absolutely delicious. Uh, try saying, hold on, let me have a little bit more, and then try to say the word delicious. Again. Hold <laughs> on, let me do it again. Here we go. Wait, 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 raise one up here. Have a drink with me. All right, hold on. Yeah, like here's mine. I'm I'm like there's you with your plastic cup, and I've got my my beautiful classic martini glass. <laughs> yeah. drink out. I'm drinking out of a giant <laughs> plastic Phillies mug. Delicious. <laughs> it's a delicious. I can't say it. I can't say the word. It's a tasty. <laughs> it's a tasty gin. Uh, I'm gonna hold up the bottle right here. Get this into my. Uh, get this into our. There it is. See, yeah. beautiful bottle. Um, and then uh, I don't know how much you want to go into this. So we'll just. I'll. I'll fast forward through it. Ultimately, what ended up happening is, the '86 company uh, got bought. Is that a good way to put it? By yes. Brown Foreman. Brown Foreman owns. A few brands you may have heard of, Jack Daniels, Woodford Reserve, some of those. Uh, so now you have found a home, but you're still, you are still the guy on Forge Gin. No, I, this, this might be a dream come true for me because Jack Daniels has been one of my favorite uh, brands. It's the it, coolest. It, let, let's just say it right now. Anybody wants to fucking hate on Jack Daniels, go to hell. Jack Daniels yeah. is the most, in my opinion, I mean, with all due respect to the Jim Beams of the world, Jack Daniels, there is no more iconic American spirit brand. I, I put it right up there with Budweiser. It's Budweiser and Jack, you go anywhere in America, and if you ask them to name a spirit from America, nine times out of ten, they're, they're going to say Jack Daniels because it's just I, fucking cool. That's it. I, I, I honestly look at the label of Jack Daniels uh, uh, over and over and over again over the past 20 years 
and thought of that piece of design as one of the most iconic like spirit labels there is it's just and 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 it's so easy to you know i've seen it on guitars i've seen it on you know t-shirts I, I mean I'm, for me i grew up like in rock music so i saw slash drinking it and the bass player you know michael anthony from van halen had a jack daniels guitar uh, i i the, the 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 entire iconography of that brand has always been something that's inspired me but it's also been something i personally enjoy drinking the the um so, so for me i'm i'm being kind of united with a, a company that is ultimately one of the best if not the best at what they do in the world and 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 they're giving me the opportunity to put my money where my mouth is because i created forge gin and i always felt that it was an amazing quality product it's made by a 10th generation gin distiller. The, the, the ingredients we put in it are the, some of the finest botanicals that we can find. I mean, it, it, and it took us almost three years just to develop the recipe. So everything about the gin, to me, is something to be very proud of. And, and, of and by the way, how, how would you describe the flavor profile of this gin? Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a really good question. because One of the things I was just about to say was, this is a classic London dry gin. Um, and there aren't many classic London dry gins that have a modern uh, outlook, really, because they, most of the London dry gins come from the past. So I, I, I created this uh, gin for cocktails, and it ended up being a London dry gin. You got a, you got a party going on there. I love it. <laughs> I know. No, it's okay. No, I I, we, I love hearing, <laughs> by the way, I've been alone for five weeks. I love hearing signs of life. Let, let everybody talk. Go, bring them all in. Bring the family in. Oh, they, they, I mean, certainly someone wants to come and say hi, but I don't know if it's a, how appropriate hi. it might. Hi. This is not like a that. drinking show yeah, by any good. means. We're, we're here. <laughs> how are you? No. No. Do you don't remember me. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, no, no, yeah. You're, so, yeah. So, so um so this this um so I create a London dry gin. Um I think what's really special about what we did, Dan, and I this is me looking back in hindsight, but this is one of the few gins that was born out of this moment in time when cocktail culture was being created. And it was really thinking about those artists, those bartenders and what they were doing and creating something for them to use that was specifically for them to use that would taste really great in the drinks that they make. And what we ended up making was essentially a classic style of gin, but I think it's a classic style of gin with a modern twist. Um, if I was to tell you about the flavor, it's very full flavored, uh, rich and viscous uh, because I wanted it to taste good in martinis and stirred cocktails. It's, it makes juniper the star. Gin is all about juniper, and there are so many gins that shy away from juniper, and I don't know why, but this is about juniper. But if you have a gin that's about juniper, you definitely want it not to be one-dimensional. So there's a lot of citrus, which brightens it up. Uh, we have grapefruit, lemon, bitter orange. Um, it's got florals because that gives nice aromatics, and I would think significantly uh, the jasmine flower is the one uh, in forged gin that makes this quite special. And then we, we have the sort of uh, spices that bring some sweetness to it. Again, bringing that balance on the palate. So it's a good old fashioned 
style of gin with a modern twist that was made specifically for cocktails and born and, out and of the moment. On the on the on the cocktail vein, if you were going to showcase the gin, you're going to you you want people to kind of get the idea what what four gins about. What what two or three cocktails would you make to showcase what this gin's really all about? Uh, the number one cocktail that I would ask anyone to use as a litmus test for what Ford's gin is about is the martini. Okay. I think if your gin doesn't work in a martini, then, uh, and what's the ratio for you? What's the ratio for your martini? I, I, I like, um, three to one. So he's talking vermouth. three part, three parts gin, one part vermouth. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think a dash of bitters always brings a little bit of character to a martini as well. Twist or olive, I, I, twist or olive in your martini. Twist. Twist. Okay. Uh, I, I believe that that expression of oils over the top of the martini bring it alive. Uh, it's a nice enticement to the, the thing you're about to sip. The olive uh, gives a martini a completely different character. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And, I, and a lot of people love olive in a martini, but I tend to agree with you. I think the twist adds that citrus element that I really, I appreciate in it. But again, there's no right or wrong on this, but yeah. So martini, you know, oh, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, what was really interesting about looking at flavor guides when I was developing the recipe for Ford's is I looked up what things are supposed to pair with juniper and juniper being a core part of gin and juniper being a really core part of Ford's gin. The things that most of the flavor guides said paired well with juniper, and I wish I'd known this 15 years ago. It would have been a good story back then. Now it's actually a reality for me. But the things that they said paired well with juniper were olives, lemons, and oranges. So I looked at that and I went, wow, there is a, a reason why we have lemon twists and olives in our martinis. It's, it's, it's actually because the flavor pairs so well with juniper. Complimentary, the, the, yeah. The, the reason that uh, olives are often not recommended by purists, I'm going to call us, that's me and you, Dan. <laughs> yes, but the reason the reason I'm not gonna is because hold on before well, hold that thought while I take a sip out of my <laughs> giant plastic mug. The purest that I am, I... <laughs> I'll have a pint uh, of gin. Reason. Yeah, go for it. Yes, <laughs> but 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 you know olives. You you put warm olives in your martini, and you're adding some something to it that you don't want to have added. You know, which is heat. You're putting olives in your martini, and they don't really necessarily need to be there. You may as well just eat them on the side, whereas the twist is actually adding something to the martini. I, I, I don't want to get into fights with the olive no, people, though. No, we're not doing that. Now, give us – we only got a couple minutes here. Give us uh, give us an, uh, one more cocktail that you make with the forged gin. I, I think that – I have to give you two. Sorry, okay. Dan. I'm gonna, no, no. That's, I'm going to make you, it you, really quick. The one is uh, the Tom Collins, oh. just a great, refreshing, long drink. The Tom Collins, we, juniper and lemon just go so well together, as I mentioned, worth making. But we have coriander in Ford's. Uh, we have grapefruit. They go well with lime. And so I recommend Gimlet's or Ricky's as well. So those would be You're the three. The, you know, there's three drinks. One is a lemon citrus drink, one's a lime citrus drink, and one is your martini. I'm going to post these on my Instagram, at the imbiber. I'll put up some, I'll put up some pictures of these drinks. I heard it from the man himself. Finally, Simon, what's uh, what's retail on a bottle of Fords? About twenty five bucks. And and by the way, for those of you who are interested in the aesthetics of it, one of the one of the best bottles in the industry. It's just a big piece of glass, and it's curvy, and it's just got body to it, and it's it's you know it's a substantial bottle. It was 
it was funny, but when I was creating the gin, Dan, I asked, actually, you did a tasting for me on a couple of occasions, but I asked hundreds of friends to taste the gin, make it in cocktails and say, is this a good or a bad drink in cocktails? And I said, taste it in a martini. Tell me what I could do differently. Taste it in a Tom Collins, a Ricky and various other drinks. And I'll get all of this feedback. And I kept tweaking the recipe until I had the final recipe. And I think I made about 80 plus gins before the recipe of Ford's was established. Now, that's how we create the gin. And so I thought it was only the right thing to do is to be to do the same thing with the bottle. I was said to uh, bartenders, what type of bottle do you want um, us to put it in? And of course, people were very opinionated because there are a lot of bottles that are hard to work with for bartenders. And so we ended up with a bottle that was, I would say, ergonomic. It's got a, it's a little middle grip. It's, it's an amazing, it's amazing. It's really, it's one of my favorites. It really is. And it's just, it's just got, it's just makes you feel like you're drinking something that matters and that's, uh, that you're handling something that matters. Um, well, Simon Ford, I love talking to you, my friend, and we're going to do this again and we're going to do it in person because I'm confident we're going to get through this soon. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit more after I get off with you here about, about Fords and just, you know, things you can do with that gin. But, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope you're, I hope you're doing all right during this whole thing. You look good. I, I don't know why I <laughs> no exercise couch potato, but, um, but at the same time, not being out constantly probably is, is, is a little, I'm probably sleeping better than I usually do. <laughs> yeah. You look, you look spry, man. You look spry. I'm going to tell you. And again, my brother, I appreciate you doing this. And, uh, I look forward to the day very soon that we can, we can have a drink in person and a yeah. cheers and a hug and all that stuff. I can't, I can't wait for that moment, Dan. I, 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 I and, and plus you live in uh, Los Angeles and I just want to come out for the weather. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, nothing, nothing, nothing says a beautiful, delicious gin and tonic than sitting on the beach near your house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, Simon Ford, thanks for joining us. Forge Gin, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm gonna, we're going to pay the bills right now, and then we'll be right back. Hey, this is Sean James. I love soul music, strong drinks, and talking with Dan Dunn on what we're drinking. Support for what we're drinking with Dan Dunn comes from Manscaped the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, folks, when it comes to dating, it's a jungle out there. But when you do find someone who wants to take you home, you better make sure it's not a jungle down there. That's why I use Manscaped, a revolutionary electric trimmer that makes accidents a thing of the past. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Take my word on this. No, seriously, you don't want to Google snag your nuts. It's going to take you down a dark road. Another reason to get Manscaped is that you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Oh, and Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not use it on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DRINKING. And always use the right tools for the job. Always use Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. It's true. My balls thank me on a regular basis, especially these days, because they're getting so much attention from me now that I'm in quarantine. 
So gin, gin's the topic today, and we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but I, I want to, there's a great book I have. It's called The Hemingway and Bailey's Bartending Guide to Great American Writers, illustrated by Edward Hemingway and written by Mark Bailey. Basically what they do in the book is they take drinks and they tie, they connect them with authors that have some famous authors over the years that have some connection with those drinks. There's a bit in here about the gin Ricky, which Simon Ford just mentioned. This has to do with F. Scott Fitzgerald famously said, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. Fitzgerald's preferred liquor was gin. He believed you could not detect it on the breath, funny notion given his remarkably low tolerance. He would get roaring drunk on very little, but then it was the roaring 20s and he was the symbol. Fitzgerald and his wife Zelda were a pair of drunken pranksters. There are stories about how they jumped into the fountain at the Plaza Hotel, boiled party guest watches and tomato soup, stripped at the Follies. They got invited to an impromptu party, which was Come As You Are, and he and Zelda arrived in their pajamas. Zelda soon enough removed hers and danced naked. Did anyone have to smell their breath to know? They also provide a gin Ricky recipe in the book. It says it's easy to imagine a warm summer evening out on the shore of Long Island, say a party at Gatsby's house, the bartender serving up light, refreshing gin Rickies as the jazz band swings. In the 1920s and 30s, there were any number of Rickies, scotch, rum, applejack, but gin is the one that endured. And besides, it was Fitzgerald's favorite. Two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, Top with club soda and a lime wheel for garnish. Pour the gin and lime juice into a chilled highball glass filled with ice cubes. Top with club soda and stir gently. Garnish with the lime wheel. Serve with two straws. Don't use plastic straws. That shit's passe. And finally, they leave. Uh, they they finish it off with a, a little bit from Hemingway's 1933 novel, Tender as the Night. By one o'clock, the bar was jammed. Amidst the consequent mixture of voices, the staff of waiters functioned, pinning down their clients to the facts of drink and money. In the confusion, Abe had lost his seat. Now he stood gently swaying and talking to some of the people whom he involved himself. Across from him, the Dane and his companions had ordered luncheon. Abe did likewise, but scarcely touched it. Afterwards, he just sat, happy to live in the past. The drink made past happy things contemporary with the present, as if they were still going on, contemporary even with the future, as if they were about to happen again. And that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank Simon Ford, the great Simon Ford. Um, I want to invite you to check me out on social media. I prefer Instagram, at the imbiber. That's also my Twitter handle. Oh, yeah, we need some music, too, to bring us home. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, this Thursday and every Thursday throughout this social quarantining stuff, I'm going to be doing a thing called Nightcap Live, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on Flaviar's YouTube channel. It'll be live. You can you can connect, send me notes. It'll be great. Love to catch up with you. Until then, I'll catch up with you next time on this show where my special guest will be Christina Hutchinson. Very exciting. <laughs>